Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Have you uh, ever wondered how a person who feels the calling becomes a medicine man or a medicine woman? Well, from what I've seen, there are two ways to do it. The primary way is to be born into a culture that honors medicine work and uh, become an apprentice to the tribe's shaman. And then there's the other way, which, uh, <laughs> near as I can tell, includes an almost infinite variety of paths. And today we're going to hear the story of one woman who is, uh, well, she's from Croatia, and she has followed many different paths until one letter to a jungle in Peru. Now, following the trajectory of her life until about 11 years ago, one would never have suspected that today she is a resident healer at a center in Peru, and she performs ayahuasca, sapo, and nunu ceremonies, as well as supervising various plant diets. It's a fascinating story that most often is a man's story, which makes Borka Kafuk even more amazing. So let's begin with Shona Holm introducing her guest today. Welcome, everybody. I am here today with a very fascinating woman, Borka Kafuk, and she runs the Yanapuma Healing Center. And so I will just uh, read to you the description of this incredible place and do her bio, and then we will have a conversation. Yanapuma, which means black jaguar, is a plant medicine healing and education center located on River Momen in Lorito, Peru. The center offers traditional healing treatments using a variety of Amazonian plants, ayahuasca, sapo, nunu, and tobacco ceremonies, as well as plant diets. Our primary objectives are to preserve the jungle and its biodiversity, and to preserve the incredible knowledge and culture of the indigenous people. The mission of Yanapuma Healing and Education Center is to help people on the path towards spiritual, physical, and mental healing and growth to ultimately reach their true purpose in life. This is done through unparalleled support on every level, healing and education, while simultaneously preserving and spreading the knowledge, culture, and traditions of the indigenous people who are in danger of being lost forever. And so, Borka Kafuk is the founder and director of Yanapuma and is the resident healer of the center. She performs ayahuasca, sapo, and nunu ceremonies and supervises plant diets. Borka has studied European plant medicine for 11 years and is a certified producer and refiner of aromatic plants. She has studied Amazonian plant medicine for the past seven years with several traditional healers. She is certified as a licensed shiatsu practitioner, trained martial artist in Shotokan, and has studied Lohan Chikang, and is a transcendental meditation practitioner for more than 20 years. Also, Borka is the founder of Durga's Sanctuary, a plant medicine healing center located in Croatia, which has been operating for five years. Borka specializes in treating energetic disorders, removing intrusive energies and entities, and treating all forms of negative spiritual practices, such as brujeria, black magic, and voodoo. Apart from that, she also treats trauma, depression, and other psychological problems, as well as physical problems and illnesses. Her philosophy can be summed up in these words, quote, everyone deserves a chance to be happy, healthy, and free. 
And so welcome, Borka. Hi, Shona. Thank you for having me in this interview. Oh, I'm so excited about this. All right. Well, I'm going to begin with uh, this question I'm curious about, uh, and that is what inspired you to choose the path of a healer? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I really never, never had any intention to walk on this path. Uh, I will say in my previous life, well, life before what I'm doing now, I have been a journalist, environmental journalist for many years. But there was something, always something missing in my life. I felt like that's not exactly what I need to do. And I was always trying to find myself through all these different things, doing Shotokan, Lohan Qigong, uh, through the meditation, through Shiatsu. And I always thought, oh, maybe that's it. But it never was. Then I saw a painting of a very famous curandero uh, from Peru, Pablo Maringo, one of his paintings, and he was saying, this is the painting of my ayahuasca vision. And I had didn't have any clue what ayahuasca was at that point. And I was looking at the painting and I said, well, I don't know what ayahuasca is, but I'm certain I've seen this before. I know this space. I know what's happening on this painting. Uh, and that put me on the path to investigate ayahuasca. So my first ayahuasca ceremony was actually in Spain and I went because of myself and my, <laughs> let's say so, egoistic thing. I wanted to find out what is missing in my life. What is that, that open hole in me? What is always saying, that's not it. That's not it. There is something else that you need to do, that you need to be. And basically after that, um, I, w I was told, I went through a couple of difficult ceremonies in which I was told by the medicine that I need to go to the jungle. I never wanted to go to the jungle. I was like, what? Jungle? Snakes? Mosquitoes? No way, I'm not going there. So I did my best to prevent myself to go to the jungle, but in the end, I ended up in the jungle, and that's where my story begins. Okay, so you ended up in the jungle. Well, let's continue. So what happened when you went? What were the circumstances? Uh, the moment I uh, entered the jungle, and I remember it was really dark in the evening, so... Everything was dark. I felt like, wow, this feels like home. But what actually happened um, during the ceremonies and my one month being in the jungle wasn't so, um, I wouldn't say it was a blissful experience because I was immediately put through the, let's call it initiation process with the things that I'm doing today. You have just read them. What is, what, what, in what do I specialize? Mm -hmm. Um so, and basically forced by the medicine to look at my life and all the people who have been summoned in my life and all the things that have been happening in my life, which led me to the path of what I am doing now. So basically the initiation was done because there was another person which, with whom my soul had an agreement to come to that ceremonies, which had an entity inside of himself which jumped in me and basically from my soul out of my body. And that was a really tough night because it took a time for me to come back to my body, to experience the entity inside of me for a curandero at that point, to extract that thing out of me. And it took me another two months coming back from the jungle to really uh, 
understand what happened, why did it happen, because the thing what medicine said to me, this is your path, you need to do this, you need to help people with these conditions. And I was like, no way. Mm. Never again I'm going to drink ayahuasca. Uh, not to mention that, I'm not going to have anything with plants, because in my head at that moment was just fear. For two months I was living in fear. I couldn't sleep at night without the light on. Uh, I would enter the, for example, the public uh, uh, in, into the tram or into the bus, and I could feel and see people carrying these things with them, and that would made me even more fearful. And then I was forced to look back at my life, starting from my family, from my own father who was carrying these things, uh, from the other people who entered my life and had, had impact on me. And I was like, yes, these things have come into my life um, to try to remove me from the path because these beings knew what I was meant to do in this life. So it took me a really long time to accept that, to stop being fearful and to learn how to deal with that. And, and I know today people, when you say to them, and these other beings, bad spirits, they say, no, that doesn't exist. Uh, but this world is more than we see. Yes, well, that is so true. Well, <laughs> the Western world really is very superficial and, and dismisses all of this, uh, and, and yet uh, it is understood in every ancient uh, uh, esoteric path there is the sacred too. There is so so. There we have the world of the seen, which we all operate in, and then we have the world of the unseen. Of course, uh, that's the rule of the coin. As long as we have a coin, there are always two sides, and unfortunately, the Western uh, mindset has just dismissed that altogether, which is part of the problem. Why the reason why I think we're in the mess we're in, uh, but in any case, well. So first of all, I have a question. So when you were in with that experience in the jungle where that entity came into you, were you with a large group of people or was it just you and a few people with a shaman? I just want a little bit more detail on that. It was, it was a, an interesting thing because when that entity started to express himself in that other person, uh, the, the shaman actually left the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And my my instant feeling was like, oh, this is not going to, this is not leading to anything good. Mm-hmm. You don't leave the ceremony when there is someone shouting and going through, because this was a small, really tiny person, and he changed his voice. He started to act very violently. He had more force than like three people put together. So uh, basically, in the end, there was only three or two other people mm-hmm. which stayed in Maloka with me and that person who was going through his experience. And it was really scary. Okay, <laughs> and you said the shaman left the ceremony? He left, yes. While this person was ranting and... Yes, and, yes. What yes. do you think the shaman was doing? Well, m- more more years needed to pass for me to actually understand what happened and again it was the answer was given to me by the medicine at the point when the spirit of the mother of Alaska decided that I'm ready to hear that mm-hmm. uh, that shaman became my teacher my first teacher mm-hmm. in the jungle so he knew 
where am I coming from and what is going to happen. He actually knew that and he had agreement with these entities to leave the space. Why? There is another explanation for that. Um, many shamans, or let's call them curanderos in the jungle, especially in Peru, they practice both. They practice, let's call it black magic and white magic. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't see anything bad in that. But you know, as more you practice black magic or brujeria, how we call it, then you more walk on the path of the darkness than on the path of the light. So at that point, my teacher was on the crossroads. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Will he take the path of light or or the path of darkness? Unfortunately, in the end, he decided to walk the other path. Huh, interesting. And so so did he... I'm just curious more of this. This is fascinating to me. So did he leave also to sort of initiate you into that experience? I mean, that's my sense, ultimately. Um, I, I, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. Okay. But uh, the, answer, the answer of the medicine was he left because he was asked from the dark spirits to leave hmm. because they had their agenda with me to remove me from the path because they knew what will happen if I continue to walk the path. On the other hand, he really did me a favor. With Mm -hmm. all the bad things he did, he did me a favor, although he didn't want to do it, because he taught me a lot. So I am grateful to him for for everything he has done. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, because I do see these entities, I mean, they, they stir up a tremendous amount of trouble, and they can do incredible damage. And at the same time, I, I, I tend to see the, that whole piece as like threshold guardians. Like just as you were saying, uh, these entities knew what was ultimately your path and they were going to do everything in their power, it appears, to uh, frighten you, to uh, discourage you uh, away from that. And I had a teacher, Brew Joy, who would speak of this saying that these are, well, you will see these in temples. Uh, You'll see these statues or faces of gargoyles and dragons and demonic-looking beings, and they're like standing sentry at the threshold of the temple. And their entire function is essentially to say, oh, you think you're ready to cross this threshold? Uh, Let's see what you've got. And then they throw you, of course, all of this, uh, adversity and uh, uh, fear and uh, great stress and uh, self-doubt. I mean, right? I mean, everything, essentially, they provide for you the hero's journey. Now, it can get far worse than that, of course, but this is my uh, my take and has been my own experience with this kind of thing, which I find very, very interesting. All right, so so that puts you on the path. And it took, what did you say, like a couple of months where you were sensing those entities on other people around you, including your father? Uh, at that point, my father was already dead. Okay. But uh, was, there was understanding, and I could understand why he was like he was, mm-hmm. why he was trying to, you know, um, um, destroy my um, my internal power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to forgive him mm. because he was driven by, by this other force that he could not control. I could, yes, 
on the other people. I could sense them. I could feel them. I could see in their eyes for the next couple of months. And I was on... I, medicine just put me... She said, you need to decide. It, in the end, it's your decision. But if you don't take the path that you decided before coming here that you will walk on, you will never fulfill your mission. You will never be happy. You will never find what you are looking for. Because in the beginning, it was your decision. <laughs> My decision. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So did you essentially kind of come to a place of peace around that and then you continued your training? Yes. It took some time and it took uh, yeah, a lot of courage uh, to go over the fear because, you know, when you are ready for tests, you will be tested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite familiar with that, I have to say. And I am familiar with this line of work that you do because... I myself have done some depossession work, and uh, it's very real. And uh, the eyes of the person change, and eyes being the windows to the soul. You know, I've, uh, that's always haunted me, especially in a couple of instances where I felt like I was, you know, looking into the eyes of a, a demon, if you will. And so, in other words, this work is not for everyone, is it? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> All right, and so what was the continuation of your training, Borka, particularly with this aspect, which, again, is not an aspect that most people choose to explore who are drawn to the shamanic, the, the path of the healer? So basically I kept going back to the jungle to my first teacher. I had another uh, two, three teachers after him. And it was always the same thing, doing the diets, being exposed on the ceremonies to these things, and then in the end being exposed to actual attacks of my teacher. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> he was very happy. He, he was, at some point, he was very happy with uh, how am I progressing. And he was always saying to other people, ah, that's my best student. You need to be more like her. Hmm. And then at one point, uh, something happened. And he... Well, we see that a lot in Peru. They start, they become jealous. Mm -hmm. And so at that point he was trying, he was trying to get rid of me. He was trying to mess up with me, manipulate me, uh, <clears throat> steal my vision, steal my power, steal my ability to work with the medicine, um, and also mess up my friends, uh, even my family members. When he couldn't attack me, he started attacking my partner, my mother, even my pets. So what did that those attacks look like? Well, I can, ex uh, uh, I can um, talk about one, what happened to me. I just, when we broke up, when I broke up my uh, commitment to my teacher, um, I had a dream before my business travel. Um, I had a dream that... There is my mother and me driving in the car and in the back seat. My teacher is sitting there and he's pretending he's not looking at us. He's not seeing us. He's ignoring us. But the moment I would turn to see, to face front, I would feel him poking me with this huge stick, which had a, it looked like a, a spear, right on my back where my heart is. <laughs> so I woke up next morning and I was like, yeah, that's a strange dream. Uh, but at that point, I still didn't, you know, pay too much attention to it. So I went to wherever I was going to do my job and I went to one store and in the store while looking for something, I felt like a hand going in my body 
uh, beneath my rib cage, grabbing my heart and squeezing it, and I fell. I flew. I was trying to hold on the on the shelves, and all these things started falling down, and I felt like that's it. I'm going to get heart attack. So that's how a typical brujeria attack looks like. Okay, and then how do you counter that? Well, at that point, I didn't have a lot of tools to deal with that except the spirits of the plants that I dieted with, some spirits of the light that work with me and some, you know, spirits that come in uh, animal form. So I started calling them, summoning them, come, come, help me, do this, do that, <laughs> do anything. So that helped. That, that terminated that attack because it, it was really close. I was really close to losing my consciousness and I felt like my heart is going to burst. Okay, so this is very interesting because on the shamanic path, or the path of, I mean, shamanic being one term, right? This is an ancient path, medicine man, medicine woman. Uh, all of these folks uh, cultivate relationship with allies in the form of uh, plants or animals, usually, uh, uh, winged ones, etc. And so this sounds like, it, you know, you were cultivating that relationship ultimately through the diet, through the plants. And then lo and behold, when you are in a time of need, then those uh, spirits uh, essentially show up to the rescue, would you say, and, and assist you as, as, uh, as they are meant to do, designed to do, yes? Yes, yes, exactly. And it's, I Go on. Later on, I've learned from the medicine and plants and other spirits, uh, other tools, how to use them to know in advance when something will happen, to protect the space, to protect the people who are in my space. Mm -hmm. So it's different now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. All right. And so I'm just very fascinated by every step of your journey, Borka. So, all right. So then what did you do? Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I never planned to go back to the jungle, to live in the jungle, but the medicine was always telling me, you need to go there, you need to live there, you need to work there, because, and there was, she used this line, she said, you need to go there to sort out my sons. Ah, very good. <laughs> it took me a while to figure that out, my sons, because usually... Uh, what we have now, we have many, many male curanderos or shamans, a very few female, mm -hmm. and um, she, the medicine was basically not happy with what is happening with them. Of course, you have curanderos which are which are very, very ethical and very good, and on the other hand, you have more and more of them who are either pretending to be curanderos and they are not or who want to achieve, you know, these lower, these lower things through being a curandero to attract women or to get more money or whatever they want. And they are ready to do, and step basically over dead bodies in that process. Hmm. So, so this is actually quite an act of courage on your part to go there then and become essentially a curandera uh, of the ayahuasca uh, and thus part of the competition. And, uh, you know, for some of these guys who look on it as a, a big business, as, as it is, right? I mean, the uh, ayahuasca tourism has just exploded. And so here you come. 
with also some quite a bit of experience already, how very interesting all these initiations in uh, what it's like to be on the receiving end of uh, black magic, if you will. And, uh, and, and also showing up now, I would think, realizing, huh, I do have some very effective plant allies who are my protectors. And so it seems to me like you're being prepared all along to then, uh, yeah, come to the jungle and set up your position and create the kind of energetic that you are creating. So how, did the center then form shortly thereafter or how did that all come together? Well, it took a while. Um, it took a while. It took many years. We formed the center. Now it's, let's see, we started in 2013, so it will be two years and a couple of months now. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> it's not that old center. Um, and we went through hell and back, of course, mm-hmm. uh, because first the problem is to build something like that and we are very far, far from the town. Um, you need to establish connections with the people who live there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, because there is there is a um, sort of racial issue, mm-hmm. which means that um, uh, Mestizo people, we call the, they're, they're called, they call themselves Ribereños, the people of the river, the river on the river, mm-hmm. they look at you as a white person, and their idea of the white person is, a, oh, every white person has a tree which grows money. Hmm. So they look you, they look at you as a bank, and mm-hmm. they will try to do, of course, everything to get the money from you. So first, that was a problem to establish some sort of good connection with these people, uh, to see us as people, not as banks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then um, at that point, we were attacked, me and my partner, because my partner was also the student of my first teacher. Mm-hmm. We were still attacked by my teacher, who was still, um, uh, at that point, he was still strong. These days, he's just an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then, um, to set your energy in the jungle, in which all these different spirits are, and all these different energies, of course, jungle needs to accept you. Mm-hmm. And the jungle is like, who are you and what do you want? Mm-hmm. So that took some time, and then to get people that we really want to work with. Right. And I say, I always say, I would rather work with free people who really, really want to do their work, their process, and really want to change themselves and help themselves than to work with 30 people or 40 people who just come to see to have, I don't know, ayahuasca, they call it ayahuasca trip or, or visuals or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's uh, very interesting. I, I had a conversation with a, another medicine woman, friend of mine, and she's an oracle. And, and she was saying, Shana, I have read for thousands of people, and this is a very, very wise, wise woman. And she said, really, uh, very, very few people actually are willing to do the work because there is this idea uh, in their minds that, oh, yeah, you just, uh, you know, receive whatever, a blessing or the, you know, medicine person waves some plants over you or you take a plant and then you're healed. And that's not how it happens. It's a process. So, yeah, I really hear what you're saying there. 
Exactly, exactly. Because yes, a medicine person has that magical wand, yes, mm -hmm. but we don't tend to use it. Why? Because if a person, for example, let's say it's a person with a cancer and it comes to you, yes, you can wave your magical wand, but then what? The source cancer may be removed, but it will come back because the source of the cancer hasn't been resolved. So the person needs to do a process, needs to go to that painful spot of non forgiving, not forgiving other people, feeling like a, a, a victim, uh, hating God and life for what happened to them. He needs to go to that spot, resolve that, and then it can truly be healed. So that's a process. Yeah, this makes me think of uh, the analogy of we have Louis Pasteur who came up with these vaccines, and I'm actually not in agreement with a lot of uh, what he had to say. Uh, at the same time that Pasteur was uh, around, we had a scientist named Antoine Bechamp, and he had a very, and apparently Pasteur actually stole a lot of Bechamp's research, but Bechamp was uh, uh, of a different mindset, and he said, it's not the disease, it is the terrain. It's about the terrain, so that if you have created in you the, the terrain that would support the disease, whatever it is, mental, physical, spiritual, then of course it can uh, proliferate. And so, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, we can just cure you, quote unquote, take that disease away. But if the, if you're, the thinking remains or the way you treat your body doesn't change, yeah, it's going to come back or it'll come back in some other form. So, yeah, very, very interesting. And so when you uh, work at the center now, so you oversee the diet for these people, and then you uh, have certain medicines that you work with for people, and then it sounds like also you do uh, quite a lot of uh, spiritual, mental healing. So, so how does that work? Like if someone were to approach you to come to your center What's your approach back? Uh, it depends what that person says. Mm -hmm. If the person says, oh, I just want to experience ayahuasca, of course, yes, you can experience ayahuasca. But if the person says, I have this and that problem and I want to work on that, we will talk about the problem. We will see how much can I... It's it's excellent if I can diagnose a person if it's, if it's living next to me mm -hmm. but even even if the person is living in another in another country we can talk over skype mm -hmm. try to diagnose and then i will say okay um from what i have learned about you and about your diagnosis, i believe that you need for example a month and we can sort out that in a month of mm -hmm. course if if you participate 100 percent in the process right Right, essential, essential, and and so how do you work with that per, for, with such a person, for instance, then when they show up for a month? Um, usually, we will first do initial ayahuasca ceremony and see what will happen on that ceremony. Do more diagnosing because when a person drinks ayahuasca, nothing can stay hidden. Mm -hmm. Things from in the body, in the energy field, in their mind, they, they come to surface. And it's so much easier to see, ah, look, there is this thing and this thing and this thing. And then uh, I will always co uh, consult with the spirit of the medicine 
what does she su- suggest? Um, what, for example, plans on, or how many ceremonies, or, or what do we need to do? And then we have our little program, let's call it that way, and I suggest to the person, okay, this is what medicine said, this is what I think, you, for example, need to take this plan for three days, you need to do the diet with this, or so many ceremonies, and if the person says, okay, I agree with that, then we will work on it. And of course, we will, as, as the time goes, and as the process, uh, things change in a process, we might um, change the, the, the plans or, or uh, uh, shorten the process, and it depends individually on a person, how much effort is that person putting in a process. And of course, each one of us has its own um, time, Right. And, and, and then what about also uh, uh, when I always start my sessions with what the Mexican curanderas refer to as a platica, a heart-to-heart. And so I would imagine you have a lot of heart-to-heart talks with these people as well. And how does that look? Well, essentially, and that is good because uh, people tend to be very open and tell me things that they usually wouldn't, I don't know, they wouldn't tell them to their best friends because they feel they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I've heard so many different things. Um, sometimes it is hard, but I'm there to hear them. And um, I'm always... Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to conceal things from them. I will going to, I'm going to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually people tend to react very good to that. Yeah, well, I would think so because they're there to do the real work. Yeah, of course, with people who come just for fun or for, as they call it, trip, you can talk for hours and nothing will happen. Right, ah, right. Yeah. Now, don't you have a partner there also then who works with you? Yes, John. John. Okay. Yes, John. Mm-hmm. Tell us about him. He's helping a lot on the ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's also singing in girls. He helps me when I call him in for the healing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He'll do all the, you know, technical stuff. He always says, I'm just a bucket cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) He's not just a bucket cleaner. He really looks after my back and he does a lot of this other work that I, I really can't. I don't have enough time for that. So he's really important part. Well, I love that it's it's you and a man. So it's this lovely balance, it seems, between the feminine and the masculine, which is just really important. Uh, you also do sapo ceremonies. Could you speak a bit to your training there and how that works? Well, uh, Sapo is actually the frog venom that mm-hmm. some of the tribes of the Amazon use. And there is a story from Brazil that how in the history, how did they even figure out how to use Sapo? And the story says, well, the whole tribe was sick. And then the uh, spirit of the frog showed uh, itself to the curandero of the tribe and said, if you want your tribe to survive, you need to use my venom. Um so basically today sapo is used usually before hunting. The hunters will use sapo 
they will purge before when they use the sapo they will purge and what happens after sapo you get this all this energy you feel like mm-hmm. oh you can run for hours mm-hmm. of course if you are physically good if you are sick you won't feel like that mm-hmm. um also you see better the colors are more vivid you hear better like Oh, who is breathing in the grass? Oh, it's an ant. Okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> exaggerating a little bit. But these senses, our senses are more enhanced. Uh, we tend to do sapo ceremonies also before ayahuasca ceremony. Because then if there is something to clean, you will clean it on sapo. You will purge on sapo. All these hard energies or toxins. And then it will be much easier for you on ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, sapo is also good in diagnosing people because the the venom should work from your head to your toes you know um, balanced you should feel it everywhere in your body but then if the venom goes to the certain point of your body then it's saying as basically there is a problem better better energetical problem or or, or a blockage or some physical problem. Mm-hmm. Also, it is very good for cleaning all the pathogens that we have in our body and even uh, heavy metals. So we do get a lot of people who get what we call supple face. Their face and their, even, even their hands and, and feet, they swell because there is so many things in our body that shouldn't be there and they can, cannot get out. <laughs> so people swell because all these pathogens go into the blood. Um, <clears throat> Also, um, of course, there is another group of people with, which have infectious diseases like HIV, which if you want to uh, do SAP on them, you can't just do it once or twice because you know what will happen. The virus will say, oh, something is attacking me, and it will multiply. Uh-huh. The actual level of the virus will rise so if a person with HIV comes and says, I want a sapo, I will say, okay, but we need to do it for a longer period of time to actually kill the virus. Hmm. Hmm. So how long does that usually take? It probably varies individual to individual. Oh, yeah. it, it really depends. Right, right. It's hard to say how long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is very, very interesting. I actually have a dear friend who uh, contracted Lyme in June of this past summer and was diagnosed because she was hospitalized. She was very sick. And when she returned from New Jersey, I saw her and she was a shadow of herself. And I said to her, because this is a shamanic woman, I said, this is your initiation, dear, and you're going to cure this. And she'd been talking about ayahuasca and she uh, actually flew out to Ecuador. She found on her own, thank goodness, a good uh, ayahuasquero who worked one-on-one with her. She was there for 17 days. She did 11 ayahuasca ceremonies, and it was in the first ceremony that she said she felt the shaman, the ayahuasca was working on the lime, and he pulled it out of her, and she returned, and she is healthy as a horse, she's back to work. Um, it was astonishing to see the before and after. So I know the power of these medicines is extraordinary. And you have to be very present, 100% present to the process. There's no question. Um, what's Nunu? Um, Nunu is actually a snuff. Uh, you can make 
just a snuff out of mapacho, which is tobacco, Amazonian tobacco, nicotina rustica. Okay. It's powder tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can add all these different plants to it, like toe, curarina, ajosacha, I will explain everything. Um, it is also one of the reasons you will use it is, let's say, on a physical level, is to clean your sinuses. Okay. But on an energy level, it uh, removes all these energies that tend to be in our head, which are not ours. It balances how your brains work, brain works. And also it gives you um, energy. So if you would have a person who has, for example, problems with sinuses, you would add Vita tree to your Vita tree bark to your nono because it, it works, it kills all these bacteria and viruses and stuff that tends to be in the sinuses and provoke infections. You can also use Quirarina, that's another very powerful plant uh, that you can use with infectious diseases, snake bites, um, and many other plants. Also, you can make a nono a visionary. And traditionally, it was used before going to the hunt. Again, hmm. they would put visionary plants in it, like Rayapanga, uh, for people to see, for hunters to see where animals are hiding. Hmm. So you would take Nunu, um, look after animals, you will see the vision, okay, there are some animals crossing the river, and then the hunters would take Sapo and go hunt the animals where you have seen them. Hmm. That's really, it's just so interesting that these visionary plants not only will uh, uh, heal you on very profound levels, but they have very practical applications, don't they, in terms of assisting you to hunt and get food for the tribe? Yes, yes. Brilliant, brilliant. Huh. Now, uh, would you say, is is there, do you feel like you are part of a community of uh healer, curandero, curandera healers in the jungle? Ooh, tough question again. Okay. <laughs> because I have, I have two little problems. First, I'm white. Second, mm. I'm woman. Mm. Okay. <laughs> they, they tend not to like that. So um, uh, we are with every time we go there, we collect more, let's call them, curanderos, they are brujos actually who don't like them and who attack us hmm. uh, but of course people who come to you, even the people uh, I have people from our village who are coming to me, so Peruvians hmm. they have recognized okay, this person is actual curandera, she can help us so more and more of them is coming to me uh, with these kind of people and of course the, the other guests which come from the other countries yes, the connection, this relationship is okay. But then, with brujos, no. <laughs> so, alright, so, mm, can you go into more detail in terms of this issue with the, the is it the brujo, you pronounce that? Yes. Brujos. Alright, I mean, do they make themselves known to you, or is this done sort of on the etheric? Well, most of them, because of course, um, they, they will not face you mm-hmm. face to face. They will attack you during the ceremony or when you are not paying attention because basically they are Indian cowards. Hmm. And uh, I've, I've yet, I have yet to see a brujo who will 
actually present himself in front of me and attack me. They always try to hide and to, you know, do it from your back, especially during the ceremony. So we, we, we have to be very vigilant to protect our space. Why they do it? There is a couple of things. Why will they do it? First, someone pay them. And it's uh, not a long time ago, you could find it in the local newspapers that they are saying, oh, if you have problems with your neighbors, then contact me. I will do everything for such and such amount of money. So first, it's their job to do hmm. this thing. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Second, they might do it because of jealousy. Because, oh my God, a person who was coming to me thinking that I'm his teacher is now coming to you mm. and I'm jealous. I don't like that because that person was my person. Hmm. Give, 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 give me back my gringo. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the last reason why would they attack you is when a person who was actually attacked by a brujo came to you to get healed, they know. If you heal that, that person, they know. Hmm. So they, will, they know at that moment who did it. They sure. Huh, that's so interesting. Uh, that's very, very interesting. I, when I was, uh, I was taught by a shaman on how to essentially unravel curses. And I remember her saying, you, when you do this, you have to go incognito. You have to go disguised because the person on the other side of the curse who cast the curse otherwise will see you, will see what you are doing. And so you're just, uh, confirming that that's really interesting Borka. yeah hmm. Hmm. and also this makes me think i sat in ceremony it wasn't a visionary medicine ceremony but it was uh, a ceremony to, uh, where i sat with a, a fourth generation navajo medicine woman and she, she was teaching us that night but the the fire that she had set in this huge teepee we were in was doing all sorts of crazy things and she said at one point this is those folks who they have been at after me for however long and they are you know uh trying to undermine my work in other words what you speak of is very common in in uh throughout i think a lot of indigenous cultures where this kind of work is done Yes, yes. Uh, not so long time ago, I am from Croatia, so it was also a, a common thing here, but not in the last, let's say, maybe 20, 40 years. Um, these people hide, but they still, but they still mess up with other people. Other people. So yes, it's very common everywhere. So in some countries, that that practice has been forgotten on or has gone um, underground. In some other countries, like, you know, Peru or even Mongolia, these practices are known to every people, to all the people. Okay. They're still alive. So could you talk about the kind of protection that you use when you are doing this work, which I'm sure you've gotten quite good at? <laughs> well, I of course, I use all the relationship I have with my spirit allies mm -hmm. and... Um, there are certain things that you can make in the jungle, some of them, and they are well, they're well known, so I can speak about them. You can use kamalonga, that's a thing that you made out of plants and after the uh, certain seeds and camphor and liquor. Then you can use different perfumes from different plants. So these are the things that are known. Mm -hmm. I will use them, and I will use some other things, which I'm not um, so keen 
to say out publicly. Of course, of course. Of course, because then when you when you when your enemy finds out, oh, he will try and look for the thing to counterfeit. Right, 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 right. Of course, I understand. Uh, yeah, and you know, this is a subject that I know a number of people are very uncomfortable with, and uh, and yet it is uh, part of the territory when one is doing this kind of work. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this stuff is ancient, and just because modern folks either dismiss it or would rather be in kind of a state of preference, you know, I hear people often saying, "Oh, I'm I'm of the light." And I say, well, that's all very well and good, but we can't be without the dark either, and we need to know how to navigate that. Uh, it is essential, and then you, you know, set up a kind of relationship, and, and it's all about boundaries as well. And I also hear these people waxing poetic about oneness, and we're all one, and we're all connected, and, and I just, I look at everything as metaphor and I look at the human body and I think, well, okay, the human body is one organism composed of cells, but what does every cell have around it? A cell wall. And certain things can permeate that, that cellular wall and others cannot. <laughs> so there is that sort of wisdom and intelligence that, yes, we are existing uh, as part of a whole and uh, there is all all manner from every end of the spectrum, right, of, of intelligences, and uh, some are benevolent and just some aren't. That's that's the wisdom of the coin, the two sides of the coin. Uh, all right. Well, okay, you know, I want to ask you, you also have a center, I think, that you have opened in Croatia, and we were talking about this earlier, and it is the area of war-torn, war-torn Croatia. Could you speak to that? Yes, yes. So um, when I was looking for my place, let's call it that way, my special place, uh, I went all over the Croatia and I was really attracted to this place, which is in the um, south part of Croatia, which was exposed to all the wars throughout history. So it's a very disbalanced place on one side, and the, the, on the other side, it is a place like, it, it has a rupture in the dimensional space, it is not so physical, mm -hmm. so all these other things are coming in because all the spirits are attracted when there is a whole lot of things happening somewhere, chaotic, good or bad, the spirits are attracted to this space. So that's the same how I was attracted to that space. When I arrived there, it felt so dead. All the nature spirits were like, slumbering and the feeling and this this voice in my head was telling me we don't want you here go away leave us alone but i didn't really want to go away so i bought that uh, that place i made my house there and i said i'm staying whether you like it or not <laughs> and it took me a couple of years um to get to terms with the spirits there of course with the nature spirits and all, the, all these spirits which have been hanging there from all these previous wars hmm. um, and all these energies. It, take, uh, it took two or three years, a lot of ceremonies, a lot of things have been done, um, and also to awaken the spirits that live there uh, because uh, we tend, especially in the Western world, we tend to perceive 
everything around us as things mm-hmm. which we can use or not. Even the plants or animals. Um, if you perceive a plant as a thing, uh, then it will really become a thing. It will lose its spirit. It will lose its awareness. It will lose its power. So yes, again, in the West, here in Europe, we can still use plants in the healing, but because of our perception, this is a thing. Mm. It will not work the same way, uh, like in the case when you really and actually respect the spirit and that that higher thing which is in the plant, the plant is just a form. Uh, so it took some time for plants there to get their spirits back, to, to awaken the spirits back. And now it feels more more like in the jungle, because when you go in the jungle, you feel like, oh, everything is listening to you. Everything is watching you. Every leaf, every plant, every animal. Because uh, we still, thank God, we still didn't influence the jungle in the way we influenced the western part of the world. Um, so it took me a couple of years and now it's the things are completely different even the plants are, are appearing which are not supposed to be in that area of Croatia they appear in the spring and I'm like wow what are you doing here <laughs> hmm. and so do you conduct uh, the kind of healing rituals in that in that area as well yes, yes. right you do okay all right uh, this is interesting uh, I'm just catching the comment. You said that the plant is simply the form, and it makes me think of form and substance. And so form is essentially the shadow cast by the substance. And you can think of the substance as whatever, call it God, creator, source, whatever, right? Or the intelligence behind it. Uh, And so I think also it's just like anyone. If you treat people a certain way, and if you treat them like they're kind of whatever, nothing, uh, that's what you're going to get in return. And so, whereas if you treat someone like, you know, they're very special and they have, you know, much to offer, then you're going to receive more from them. And, and I see plants as no no different. I have a question for you. Do you work with a plant called Datura ever? Are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. Ah. We, we have it here. It's, uh, it's, uh, we have one type of Datura here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you really, really need to be cautious. Oh, yeah. with The best thing is to grow it from the seed mm-hmm. so you get to know each other. Mm-hmm. It's like I remember when I planted one in my yard and someone from the village came to Durga Sanctuary and I didn't allow him to come in my yard. He just came in <laughs> and he was looking at me like, oh... I feel something. Do you have a dog here? A very vicious dog. And I was like, no. <laughs> he actually felt my datura. She didn't like him coming in without getting permission. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. I just thought, you know, with all your experience with the sort of darker entities, often a medicine person of your ilk who works with that will have Datura as their ally and and not necessarily that you're taking it but that it is growing in a garden I met another woman um, a black woman who is a witch she is amazing and she is working with a Datura and also it is like an ally and a guardian for her Huh. and and yeah and that is not something you I mean that's something you want to be very careful with because correct me if I'm wrong is is 
Do the Amazonian shamans work with the Torah at all, some of them? They use something which is called Toe. Toe. Right. It's, uh, but it's not, I think it's not from the same family. It's very similar, the flowers. The leaves are different. And there are different, different types of toy, the white one, red one, black one. Hmm. And of course, in the, in the Amazon, the white one is that you will use it for, let's say, good stuff, the red one for brujeria. Hmm. But also, just like here, you will plant your toy plants to protect you. Hmm. You will plant other trees which brujos use to protect you from brujeria. Or you will do your diets with these things to know what they are capable of doing so you can uh, you can handle it and i wanted to say one more thing about plants and the, the this essence we were talking about mm-hmm. um we use ikaros in healing some people call it sacred songs these are not songs these are actually frequencies uh, you receive them as a song, whether from the medicine or from the plant you are dieting it. But that is that is actually an essence. And when you sing that Ikaro to a person, only, and if only that Ikaro is not helping the person to heal, then you will use the plant that gave you the Ikaro. Ah, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So even if you don't have a plant here in Croatia, for example, like Toe or Lupuna Blanca, mm-hmm. I can sing its Icaro to the person and get the same result. Like huh. I, yeah. Wow. Well, there's, wow, the power of sound, the power of intention, and the power of relationship with that plant. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very struck, Borka, by how you are putting this all forth and really uh, demonstrating what it is to work with the plant world as if it is in and of itself a tribe of different intelligences, right, that, that you know, we have to uh, cultivate relationship with. And, and just like any other person or group of people, then, you know, based on those relationships, it, it's, I, a trust is formed and, uh, and then work can be done. Things can be accomplished. I mean, you're really illustrating this beautifully. And hmm. then we get magic. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about magic. How would you define magic? Oh, uh, magic is whatever we don't believe in now. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember my mother telling me when I was when I was a child, and I was saying, "What is what is this world all about? I don't like this. Look at these people doing that. People on, only running after this." And she said to me. Oh, you better get used to it because this is the real world. And I'm like, if this is the real world, I don't want to live in it. We forgot what the real world is. Even I'm I'm going to be so bold to say that we, very, very long time ago, didn't need ayahuasca or different other different visionary plants to see other dimensions and to talk to the spirits and communicate with all these other dimensions and entities because we could see today we walk this earth completely ungrounded and our our 
this 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 thing is which is supposed to be in our head like our antenna is cut off mm-hmm. we are not not only that we are cut off and and we are split we splitted ourselves from the nature and what the world really is we are cut off all these spiritual things and all these other dimensions which people will say now ah that's just a fairy tale we knew more we saw more before and uh it was different before well Today, we were, i was going to say we become hyper rational yes and and just so caught up in the rational now of course you know it is uh essential to be able to think critically and i think of the teachings of the ancients where they had the trivium which was you know, the, the, based on knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, uh, it is, what is it? It's grammar, logic, and uh, reason, glamour, grammar, logic, and understanding, in any case. And then you had the quadrivium, which was number-based, and so that was arithmetic and geometry and astronomy and music. And so you had all of that, and that was your foundation. And then, of course, there was this uh, rich, rich engagement with mythology uh, uh, and with the world of the unseen and uh, I see this just beautiful harmonic there and we have lost that entirely right I mean it's just become so hyper rational exactly what you were saying earlier about we look at plants as things we look at animals as things and we don't we uh, it, this culture stays very much on the surface and, and anyone who does this work understands that, uh, just as we were talking about form and substance, yes, you have the form, but you must always go beneath that. And then even the story, there's always the surface story. Uh, there's the surface story of our lives. There's the surface story of sort of what we're given by this nonsensical media machine. Uh, and then there are the deeper, deeper layers at work. But most people don't even delve into those deeper layers they just take the surface story for what it is or they take the the image of the form just for what it is and they don't go any deeper and yet the ancients uh went far deeper they could see that very very clearly i I think also our minds are shut down from a young a very young age public school does a really good job of that i was speaking with a woman who homeschools her children this was a couple years ago she was telling me about something she had read that said by the time the child is eight a public school kid their imagination has been shut down by about 70 percent so it it shuts down the imagination, and the imagination is the wand, and and the mind is the wand. Each one of us is born as a prince or princess, mm. but we turn into frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, today um, the lifestyle we are living, the things that we are told, the life is. It's very superficial, and it leads a whole lot of people to feeling unfulfilled, unhappy, uh, going into these different behaviors. Some of them are not that good, addictional behaviors or even aggressive behaviors. So, And everything comes from this, this split, this rapture made between a human being and the world. Right, 
Right. And, you know, in with your uh, <laughs> uh, metaphor of the frog that we've been turned into a frog, and I just think of the traditional fairy tales where the frog is transformed into a prince. How? Through a kiss. <laughs> and uh, really what the kiss is, is the kiss is the transmission. And so something is, is uh, uh, passed through the, the kiss. Uh, and, and so I see that transmission or that kiss occurring through uh, nature is doing that, through her plants and her fungi. For those of us who are, you know, drawn to both the visionary plants and fungi and also for those out there who are inspired to just get back to the land, you know, they want to grow their own food. They want to, you know, really uh, call that back. And so there is a transmission that occurs and it comes from that engagement with nature because, yeah, the separation, it's like essentially it's taken, it's almost akin to like, I mean, we were wild once, and we've been essentially domesticated. Mm -hmm. And in that domestication, we've lost touch with our instincts, and we've lost, uh, we are continuing to lose touch with our own senses, right? With all this technology, uh, we're losing even more of those natural senses, which is our connection to nature. Yes. My question was always, if something happened tomorrow, and everything was lost, like, you know, electricity, water supply, food supply. Who would be able to survive? <laughs> when you think about it, you don't know how to track the water down. You don't know how to find your food. You don't know, oh, wow, I'm now in nature. I'm scared of nature. Mm. What can I eat in this nature? What is toxic? What is not? How can I wash myself? Which plants are good to make soap out of them? Uh, as a civilization, I wouldn't call us a civilization. We, we would be lost that day. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No question. I know our ancestors, our recent ancestors, have really been seduced, particularly in the last, uh, over the course of the 20th century, really seduced into uh, giving up their autonomy and letting go of uh, of cultural traditions that kept them very close to the to nature very close to the land and uh, i see women who are doing what you're doing and men who are doing what you're doing as really calling people back to nature both the nature that we are in and our own human nature yes yeah well that is uh that's very profound work you're doing, Borka. Uh, could you give the website for the Yana Puma Healing Center for the listeners? So the website is uh, Yana Puma, Yana with Y, Yana Puma Peru dot Vix dot com. Okay, I will make sure that that is uh, on the uh, Psychedelic Salon so that people can find you and obviously they, they can contact you through the the website. Uh, is there anything else, Borka, that you, any more wisdom you would like to convey before we we finish up here? Oh, yes, one more thing. Please, yeah. <laughs> I'm always telling on every, every sharing after every ceremony, I'm saying, please, please, you are keeping your teeth clean, you are keeping your bodies clean, your hair, you're washing your hair, your clothes needs to be nice and tight. 
please pay attention to your thoughts. Please pay attention to your energy. We tend to live in our heads. We uh, forget about, about our energies and bodies. Our first layer of protection is our energy field. We need to be aware of it. We need to keep it clean. Huh. And I would say that um, in terms of the uh, energy field, that that the way we are thinking affects our field. Yes. Because you can walk into a uh, room, uh, a crowded room, and there would be a person there who is very toxic, and uh, you've never met them before, and, 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 and they haven't even opened their mouth, and you feel like energetically repelled by that person. And then there will be someone else in that room who uh, just has this incredible energy, and, and, and you're just drawn to them naturally. And that is a direct result of, of how they are mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it affects the field around them. Yes, and it affects our whole life because with what we think, which becomes our energy, we attract things in our life. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to be vigilant. We need to pay attention. What do we think? Why do we think that? Why do we feel like we feel? Is this something ours that we need to work on it? Or did we pick up something from somebody that we need to work on it? Right, right. And the plants can certainly assist us to uh, figure all of that out and make us very aware of, of uh, our toxic thinking. Yes. So basically the, the recipe is be now in this moment because uh, other moments don't exist. Be now and be aware mm-hmm. what is happening with you and what is happening with everything which is around you. Well, on that note, Borka, thank you so much for sharing your incredible wisdom. Uh, I really, really enjoyed talking with you. And, uh, and I look forward to meeting you at some point. I'll have to get myself out to your center at some point. That's definitely going to be in my future. So, all right. So your website again is yanapumaperu.wix.com. I encourage uh, everyone to take a look at that website and to connect with you for those who are thinking very seriously of going to Peru for a very real healing, working with these medicines. And uh, you present us an opportunity to work with a woman, a woman, uh, ayahuasquera. And, you know, I want to say, sweetie, that, um, Four years ago, when uh, uh, I was called to work with the ayahuasca, I was hearing these stories of the, uh, these ayahuasqueros who were uh, uh, helping themselves to women sexually on the medicine. There were all these stories. And I remember saying, where are the women ayahuasqueras? Where are the women? And I did find within a month, this is how my life works, two beautiful women ayahuasqueras. And I was able to actually sit in an all-women ceremony, which was beautiful with these two ladies. Uh, but uh, you're the first woman I have uh, had the pleasure of speaking with who uh, practices uh, this, uh, this in, in Peru. So I'm just uh, so thrilled. And so I'll just want to spell the website uh, again, Y-A-N-A-P-U-M-A-Peru.Wix.com. And, uh, and Borka, just thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon. 
where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. So, if you find yourself out at the end of the line, thousands of miles away from the Amazon jungle, don't give up hope. As we've just heard, once the vine reaches out to you, it's almost impossible to resist. You know, uh, back in the 1990s, when I first began using ayahuasca myself, the ayahuascaro who I was working with told me that, well, he said Lady Ayahuasca was moving out of the jungle and into cities all over the world. At the time, I didn't pay much attention to what he was saying. After all, it took me over a decade of searching just to find him. But now, uh, after listening to Borka's story, I see exactly what he meant. So, if you're like I was back then and seriously searching for a way to participate in an ayahuasca experience, don't panic and don't force the issue. She'll find you when she thinks that you're ready. I'm really sure of that. And uh, speaking of finding you and of finding a few of the others, I want to uh, announce that our month of free lifetime charter membership in our forums has come to a close. But never fear, should you want to give them a try without paying our nominal $12 a year membership fee, just sign up as a student member, which is uh, free for the first year. After that, you can decide if it's uh, worth a dollar a month to participate. And even if you're just a lurker, you should know that all of the membership fees go directly to supporting these podcasts. And hopefully we'll get enough people using the forums that uh, I won't have to do another annual fund drive. And uh, we all know how all of us dislike uh, hearing it's pledge drive time again. Now, for our fellow Saloners who apparently haven't heard me talking about us being dropped from iTunes, and uh, they keep sending me email telling me that suddenly they can no longer find us in iTunes, I can at least tell you why I think our feed was dropped. It simply got too big. I didn't know this until I was submitting our new RSS feed to Google Music, which uh, soon will begin handling podcasts. Uh, And that's where I learned that there's a limit to the file size of an RSS feed that iTunes and some of the other aggregators will accept. Until last week, our feed listed all 474 podcasts from the salon. And as such, I guess it must have maxed out the size limitation. So I've cut both the old feed and the new feed to the 50 most recent podcasts in the hopes that eventually iTunes will pick us up once again. However, if you've been using the feed to go back to some of our earlier programs, well, that isn't going to work for you that way anymore. So what I've done to help a bit, though, is that if you go to our main site, which is psychedelicsalon.com, and click on the podcast link, you'll be taken to a single page that lists all of the salon's podcasts on it. And clicking on any of those links takes you to the program notes page for that program. And at the top of every one of those pages, you'll find a play button that allows you to stream these podcasts without first downloading them. So if you're accessing the salon through your phone, while it isn't quite as easy as using the long RSS feed as in the past, you can still stream all of these programs quite easily because at the bottom of each uh, program notes page, there's a button that'll take you to the podcasts that come before or after the one you just listened to. And... uh, I guess maybe that's really too much detail here because I'm sure you're going to figure it out. So I hope that you keep listening to our older programs because there's some really good information there. 
As you'll see, if you uh, click the category drop-down on the podcast page, uh, you'll find that there are over 200 Terrence McKenna talks, over 50 Timothy Leary talks, and over 60 talks, uh, each featuring ayahuasca, DMT, and psilocybin, and over 70 talks that concern psychedelic research. In all, you have uh, hundreds of hours of psychedelic-related programs to uh, keep you busy until next week when I return with, uh, well, either a Planque Norte lecture or yet another Terrence McKenna talk. Until then, I'll be connecting with you on our forums where, uh, well, there's several personalities that are already beginning to come to the forefront. And uh, I see that quite a few new friendships are also taking place. Uh, also, the first group that was started by one of our members has uh, now grown to a size where they're talking about getting together in person. You see, the main point of these forums is to provide a place for you to find the others. And uh, that seems to already be working quite well. So for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends. <laughs>